baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by St. Louis Cardinals Baseball. Cardinal tickets are on sale now and start at $55. Details at cardinals.com slash holiday. Okay, three, two, one, hit it. It's the Chris and Amy Show. You know who it is. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show. Now, Amy Marks scores Chris Ranji on KMOX. Thursday morning here at KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. Amy Mark scores alongside Michael Kelly. We're stepping up our game. We dunched, ditched that dead weight of Hancock and Ranji. You and, know, Michael, you uh-huh. and I are the original dynamic we duo. We are. We are. Yeah. yeah. So, Ranj, he's off whatever he is doing, gallivanting around town. He'll be back next week. Hey, if you are listening to us on 98.7 FM, Good for you. It's great <laughs> along the highway, the Highway 40 corridor. So again, 98.7 FM is crystal clear. 11:20 a.m. If you're on the old school AM, give the FM dial a try. It's really, really nice sound. You can also listen to us on the Odyssey app. Download that on your phone. Listen to live radio at any time. You can also rewind live radio on the Odyssey app in case you missed something. And if you missed the whole show, well, we've got the podcast, the Chris and Amy Show podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. Well, the House Republicans have authorized an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. That will begin soon. Yeah, and Hunter Biden says enough is enough. He's starting to speak to the media. He's essentially wanting to pick a fight with the Republicans in Congress. And in our non-Biden top three, uh, we are seeing a rise in anti-Semitism across the country, across the globe, on college campuses, especially with all of these Ivy League presidents testifying before Congress. Staff writer at The Atlantic, Yair Rosenberg, joins us at 11 o'clock to discuss this rise in anti-Semitism. Michael Kelly, it's good to sit in with you today. Good to see you. So I guess I'm glad I have you in today because there's a lot of of Biden news. A lot of Biden news going on. And to be completely honest, with the impeachment inquiry, my first thought, we're talking about Joe Biden here, my first thought when I saw the news that the House had authorized an impeachment inquiry, my first thought was, Wait, didn't we do that already? Didn't we? <laughs> Have we just been talking about right. it? It's it's the same thing like with Trump with all of his trials and he's always appearing in court in the indictments. It's almost right. unless you have a a playbook like an NFL coach, you can't keep track of it. So with this this is the first official impeachment inquiry that has been launched. Right, and it gives them the opportunity to have some investigative powers, etc. Do you remember, Amy, you may be too young, but I remember when President Clinton was being mm-hmm. impeached for the first time. It was a big deal. Even yeah. the fact that that word was being used, impeachment, um, was such a big deal. And then, of course, we 
we got into the Trump administration where, you know, he was rightfully impeached twice. And now I guess this is just going to be standard operating procedure. You're the president. And if the party and uh, out of power doesn't like you, they're going to impeach you. That's sure what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Um that they've been investigating and talking about this impeachment since before Joe Biden was president, and they still put up no evidence. So it will uh, we'll dig into it. And uh, but Hunter Biden, boy, he's a plethora of nonsense, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing when you're looking at Hunter Biden and his dealings, uh, they're shady, and it looks like he was absolutely throwing his dad's name around to have some kind of influence, to get money, whatever it may be. We know Hunter Biden, he seems to be good for everything that he's been (laughs) accused of doing. And that's not a surprise. I think, of course, the big question is how much was Joe Biden involved? Uh, How much did Joe Biden know? When it comes to Hunter Biden, and yesterday he was supposed to being a closed door deposition in front in front of the House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee. Well, then Hunter Biden made a statement to, to the media that he would testify publicly, but not behind closed doors. What is his motivation behind that? Well, I think he's trying to make sure that everything is on the record. It's probably pretty smart. If I were him, I'd want everything to be seen by everybody. Uh, what's he going to admit to that he hasn't already admitted to himself that might be embarrassing? So to do it in public would keep uh, some of those folks the, for, in the Republican Congress from making stuff up and and putting out rumor and innuendo. I don't know. It's an unfortunate thing. I, look, I think Joe uh, Hunter Biden's a bad dude. He's totally good for what uh, he's been accused of. And if there is any cooperation with the president, then let's hold him accountable. Um, but I, I think part of what is frustrating to the Republicans is none of us Democrats out here are defending uh, Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it. I believe that he broke the law and should be held accountable and probably go to jail. Do you think he will see jail time? I do. Yeah. Now, whether or not the president, the current president uh, would uh, pardon him, likely so. I mean, if my kid uh, had done something and I was the one person who could pardon him and, you know, somebody wasn't dead or something, I probably would do the same thing. So, But I think he will see the inside of a cell. Whether or not he'll be sharing the same facility as Donald Trump is the question. What about this issue of... (laughs) Uh, I got it. (laughs) What about the issue of Joe Biden using an alias for these emails? That's weird. So he was using an alias like Robert Peters and J.R.B. Ware, and there are thousands of emails, and a lot of those emails, hundreds of them, were between these aliases and his son, Hunter Biden, or Hunter Biden's business partner. Uh, I believe there were thousands of them. Why would a vice president at the time use an alias like that? It's not good. It's not good. And that's probably uh, the basis for... Uh, this inquiry uh, that needs to take place. And look, there may be uh, nothing nefarious here. It is curious, though, that your Joe Biden, first of all, I'm impressed that the man was able to even use email. Uh, second, he was he able to, fit, to create a burner account. Right. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time making my Odyssey email work around here. Uh, every time I'm with you, you know, they got a new password and you got to mm-hmm. change stuff. So, um, But it is suspicious. Um, and I would like to know more about why the president... Was using an alias. Yeah, I that's 
And this is all it's on the not heels. Good. Right. And this is all on the heels of the whole Hillary Clinton debacle with emails. Yeah. You would think if you're a vice president, why would you do anything like that? Uh, it just, uh, why would you, 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 I don't know. But then again, you know, the, a lot of the what was accused of Hillary Clinton was exactly what uh, Donald Trump and his kids were doing. So it's just a strange time. Yeah. People think the rules apply to others and not to themselves. So again, using, you know, the alias of Robert L. Peters <laughs> and Robin Ware, there were 327 emails during a nine-year period, 2010 to 2019, that these alias email accounts corresponded with Hunter Biden and one of Hunter's key business associates, Eric Schwerin. So this is something that needs to be looked into. How does the official authorization by the House for an impeachment inquiry change the investigation that's already been going on? Is it primarily that they'll just have more subpoena power? I think that's what it comes down to. I'm not a lawyer and I don't understand the constitutional law behind uh, impeachment and stuff. But my understanding is they will be able to have more impeachment authority inquiry with uh, including subpoena power. So it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. But, uh, Amy, look, they've been trying to get Joe Biden since the day he was president. If yeah. there was anything here, don't you think we'd have a little bit more? I mean, the uh, the most substantive thing they've come forward with is this, the the, the alias emails. Well, let's put them out there. Let's all mm-hmm. read the alias emails and understand, was it simply uh, you know, uh, innocuous conversation or did it appear to be something – uh, far bigger. I have a feeling that if there was more here, we would already know about it because these people are hell bent on getting rid of Joe Biden and who can blame them? Yeah, that was my initial thought is they've been making accusations against Joe Biden now since he became president. Where, where is that evidence? Could it be that the evidence is on the fringe, meaning the way the emails were constructed, they were used under an alias, but the way the wording uh, was in the emails, you could say, well, it could be nefarious, but it could also be something that's innocent. And they're not sure that they can convince those that need to be convinced of the malicious intent. I, I don't know. Obviously, with an impeachment trial, it's not a criminal trial. So an impeachment trial is political and he doesn't necessarily have to be charged with a crime or be held to criminal trial standards to be considered unfit. I It does start to feel, though, that the impeachment is now just what you do. <laughs> like whoever becomes president, whoever wins the presidency in 2024 will automatically right. have an impeachment trial yeah. or an impeachment They'll inquiry started. Plan their inaugural balls, have their first hundred days, and then start their proceedings to protect themselves from impeachment. I hope that's not the case, Yeah, that we're just going to use impeachment as some type of a, a political football. But then again, I, 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 I think we're so far beyond yeah people acting with normal grace and dignity that uh, I think this is going to be standard operating procedure. No matter who's in the White House, we're going to yeah. watch the party out of party to power do this. And like I said, I think Hunter Biden is guilty as all get out of just his conduct that would be criminal, whatever it may be. But I also then look at Jared Kushner. Mm-hmm. I go, well, wait a minute. Two billion dollars with the Saudis benefiting oh. off the name yeah. of Donald Trump. Shouldn't there? Should we look into that? Of course we should, but uh, nothing seems to matter. Um, and unfortunately, it'll probably take the Democrats taking control of Congress 
for them to be able to go and do this inquiry. Amy, we're living in a world where George Santos was allowed to stay in Congress for two years. Oh, my gosh. There are no rules anymore. It, no, nobody seems to matter or care. Now, we everybody throws mud and yells bloody murder about the other side, but uh, there is no accountability um, and so I think when we say, well, is this just what's going to happen? Sure, it's just what's going to happen. How is Jared Kushner getting away with it? They're doing it. Um, and there's a network out there carrying the water. Many people would say that there's folks like myself out here trying to cover up for Joe Biden. I don't, I'm not here to cover up for Joe Biden. I'd like to see some real evidence. They have none. Yeah. He is Michael Kelly. I am Amy Mark Scores. This is the Chris and Amy show. We're going to talk more about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, all the Bidens on Washington, D.C. in Washington, D.C. at 1030 with CBS chief Washington correspondent Major Garrett. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Michael Kelly, Amy Marks score is with you on a Thursday morning. Hey, I, uh, I brought up Saudi Arabia uh, mm-hmm. because we were talking about Jared Kushner. And it, it reminded me of a topic that, that we were talking about, the Live Tour yeah. and the PGA. And, mm-hmm. a, and you, you have fan? some feelings on this. Are you a golf fan? You, okay. I like to watch the Masters. I like of to watch course. Sunday. Right. So I am a very... Very casual, almost tangential golf fan. I remember when fan. I was a kid, I used to think golf was torturous when it was on mm-hmm. television and my parents would have it on. I'm like, oh, great. Right. My grandpa would go. watch oh, it. It was yeah. so boring. And now I've become that person. I yeah. probably have the golf channel on in my house more than I have uh, CNN or any of the news channels. Nice. And uh, I, it's just sad to watch what's happening to uh, professional golf. There is this whole struggle going on right now in the Saudi Arabia and the, I don't know, whatever they call themselves, their new investment fund, is trying to essentially buy golf mm-hmm. and take it away from the United States. They've offered these huge exorbitant fees. Uh, apparently, you know, it's been reported they've offered Tiger almost as much as a billion dollars to leave the PGA Tour and join the Live Tour. This week they uh, had John Rahm, uh, mm-hmm. the Spanish golfer. Uh, he's a, 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 a Masters winner uh, who joined them. Um, Live is different than PGA. It's a competing. Uh, it's a competing league in the same sense that the AFL and the NFL might have been in the past. But what's going on, Amy, is is the Live is a three day golf tournament as opposed to the PGA, which is a four day golf tournament. The PGA takes place almost exclusively in the United States. Live goes around the world. Um, and there is this huge fight going on and stealing these big players to live. And I hate it because I'm getting turned off from golf. Um, I get it. I don't blame uh, John Rahm and Dustin Johnson and, uh, you know, all of these major golfers who would go and take Bryson DeChambeau and, uh, Patrick Reed, mm-hmm. boy, the list goes on and on. People taking hundreds of millions of dollars to join uh, the Live Tour, but it's not being seen anywhere. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me and that it's not getting any attention. It doesn't have a media rights in the United States. Uh, it doesn't get much coverage. 
Uh, golf is uh, right now, the PGA has its um, agreement with the major networks, uh, which, of course, provide us with, uh, you know, showing us golf on the weekends and stuff. That's not the case with the Live Tour. So half of the world's greatest golfers play for this Saudi Arabian thing that doesn't get any television attention. And the other half, uh, I'm getting turned off by it, to be quite honest with you. And I worry that this is what's about to happen to the rest of sport. We saw um, Ronaldo, uh, who's the probably arguably mm-hmm. the second greatest uh, soccer player in the world, and has signed a deal with Saudi Arabia. But soon we may not have like professional golf in the United States. It may be all owned by the Saudis, and I don't even know where you'd watch it. So this is confusing to me because I know initially, and I thought John Rahm was one of the players that spoke out against the Live Tour. Yeah, he you was know. one of the people saying, "Hey, look, this is just a money grab. Mm-hmm. The history's inside the PGA." But uh, was reported this week that he got upwards of four hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you right now, for four hundred million dollars, I. I could get into some bad things. I could be a Cubs fan for so, $400 million. <laughs> That Well, okay, this is even a bigger conversation uh, because initially the reason why I'm confused is you had players speaking out against Live. Now they're signing with the Live Tour because everybody's got a price, it seems. And initially you had to resign from the PGA right. to join the Live Tour. And then the Live Tour and the PGA were going to merge. But then that was just a spoken agreement, right. a head nod versus a written contractual agreement. So are they merging or no? Uh, nobody knows. And I think that uh, this uh, quasi-planned merger came as a result of the fact that many people around golf, particularly those on the financial side, realize that golf is imploding before our eyes. Mm. The whole business model of golf is collapsing here in the United States and the way the PGA executes its stuff uh, of course, live is continuing to move forward. They have an endless supply of money, so it doesn't matter. But their their tournaments aren't being watched, so there was a movement amongst some of the money folks inside of golf. Hey, let's get together. Let's find a way that we can get the best of both worlds. Live and the PGA to merge together, and uh, they had come to some type of an agreement. But it, when you're dealing with the Saudi Arabian money, and these are the people who killed Kachobi, K- K- mm-hmm. you know how to say mm-hmm. his name, uh, Kachobi, am I saying uh, Khashoggi. Khashoggi. Jamal Khashoggi. And, you know, uh, and let's not forget 9-11, et cetera, uh, that, that Saudi Arabia was involved with. That's, you know, a lot of people are pointing at that. I don't know, Amy. It sucks because we have the greatest golfers in the world. We don't know where to watch them anymore. And the Saudis seem to be taking over everything. I'm not for it. I don't like it. I'm depressed by it. I've tuned it out myself. I talked to Dan Reardon, the golf guy here, and I said, look, I'm just not going to give it my energy. Well, now they got half the golfers. Uh, Half the golfers in the PGA. And this merger doesn't appear as though it's going to happen because uh, Congress is going to get involved. And as a result, we just, you know, maybe one of the great sports of our time is going to evaporate. Because you can watch it. PGA on CBS. Yep. You don't know where to watch Live Tour? No, I mean, well, is I get, it... my understanding is they have a deal with WB. But, okay, so here's what happens at a regular golf tournament. Yeah. They go off at staggered start times. So there's a guy who goes off at 9 o'clock. Then there's another four twosome at 9.08. Then there's 9.16. And, you know, it continues on like that. Live, they start the tournament at the same time. Like a shotgun start. Yeah, all on, on different holes. And so you're supposed to watch it. And the idea is that it will be more exciting and more energetic, mm-hmm. yet there's no place to watch this tournament. So this is, again, the second, another angle of this. I mean, money 
money moves people to do horrible things, to do things they wouldn't normally do. And, you know, you say, well, everyone's got a price tag. I, my dad would always tell me, like, can you sleep at night? Like, make a decision, but make sure you can sleep at night. It's not about, you know, the price tag yeah. or whatever. I could not sleep. I could you not. You couldn't take the $400 million? I could not. I know me. I could never take it. It's just dirty, dirty blood money, human rights violations, September 11th, Jamal Khashoggi. I just, we know what they're doing. Yeah. We know they're I, sports washing a country I that would, has no regard for human life. I would hope that I would have that same fortitude and backbone that you have. Um, and John Ron sure seemed to have I had, he that had it prior too. to yeah. this. But $400 million, you're talking about a half billion dollars mm. to be able to, to, to go. I could look the other way on a lot of things. Now, I don't know that I would, uh, you know, these folks are still making a really good living inside the PGA. I'm glad that Tiger and Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth and some of golf's biggest names are staying out of it. But I think everybody's got a price tag. I bet even Amy Mark's course does. <laughs> I don't think One so. What a terrible thing. Dollars. Terrible thing to say, Michael Kelly. Well, you might. I'm Amy Mark's course. Hey, we've got Major Garrett, CBS Chief Washington correspondent next. Guy. Every single Republican voting in favor of moving into this official impeachment inquiry phase of our constitutional duty uh, to do oversight. That was Jim Jordan talking about the authorization of an impeachment inquiry looking into the actions of President Joe Biden. And to give us more insight on a Thursday morning, as he does every Thursday, is CBS Chief Washington correspondent Major Garrett, author of The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie, host of The Takeout podcast, and host of Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen, a podcast that if you have not checked out yet, you definitely should. Major, good morning. Thank you for that very generous introduction. Good morning to everyone. How is everybody in St. Louis? Well, we're doing pretty well. We're doing pretty well. Um, A lot of uh, Bidens in the news in the past 24 (laughs) hours. Um, (laughs) Well, two, I guess, basically. Yes, two Bidens, basically. Feels like more, but it's only two. Honestly, here's here's what I told Michael Kelly, who is uh, joining, was with me this morning. I said when I read the headline that the House had authorized an impeachment inquiry, my first thought was, wait. Didn't they already do that? Right, right. Yes. <laughs> I'm confused. Yes. It's confusing. <laughs> yeah. It's confusing. Okay. Here is what has happened, and it's similar to what happened when House Democrats began impeachment proceedings over the Ukraine issue against President Trump. Committees began their impeachment process, meaning calling witnesses, but the full House had not authorized the committees to do that. And what's the difference between committees doing an impeachment work on their own and the full House authorization? The big difference, and it matters in terms of law and the Constitution, is when the full House authorizes an impeachment inquiry, it gives subpoenas issued by the House more legal weight. Federal courts have recognized and underscored the importance of subpoenas issued from the House under the power of an impeachment inquiry 
approved by the full House as different and slightly less powerful than subpoenas issued by a House committee conducting oversight or asking questions, even if it's on behalf of a potential impeachment. So it matters only in the sense that this is now a full House vote, meaning the House itself, composed of the majority party, in this case, all the Republicans voted for it, have authorized this. And federal courts historically have said when the full House authorizes it, any subpoena issued from that point forward carries greater legal weight and a greater requirement for responsiveness. So, Major, what took so long for them to make this final vote? Because, uh, I mean, has there been some new evidence that's come out that caused the House to take this action? Or for the last two years, we've just kind of been running the standstill without them taking this move. So it's not been two years. The clock's not been running for for two years. The impeachment process sort of got going this summer in terms of Kevin McCarthy. Remember him? He used to be the Speaker of the House. Yeah, right. Uh, saying, hey, I think the committee should begin this process in terms of impeachment, not just asking questions in an oversight role. So it's not been two years on the clock. It's been a couple, three months. And the reason they haven't taken the full House vote is they didn't have the votes. They didn't have the votes because they knew House Republican leadership that no Democrat would vote for it. So they needed to get all their House Republicans in order. And it wasn't clear until very recently that a sufficient number, meaning there'd be no defections or very few defections. In the end, there were none because basically House Republican leaders said this vote, if you vote to authorize an inquiry, does not commit you to voting yes on an article of impeachment. Now, that may be harder to deal with politically two or three months from now. You launch an inquiry. Your constituents may expect you to vote on an article of impeachment and vote yes. Because I think Biden's a bad guy. But Republicans bought that and said, OK, I'm ju-, and you heard several of those who are on the fence about this. Some of the New York Democrat delegation, some from Virginia, some from Biden district saying I'm only voting to start this process. I'm not committing to voting in favor of any article of impeachment against the president. And once they had that understanding, and in their mind, politically and otherwise, had this sort of vague difference between the two, they could bring it to the floor and know they could pass it. Because you don't want to bring an, in, an inquiry question to the floor and have it lose. So That would be deeply embarrassing for the House Republican leadership. So they waited until they were absolutely sure they had the votes. So what is the next steps? Obviously, they'd like to have something in play prior to the election. What can we mm-hmm. anticipate seeing over the next several months? Well, of course, Democrats say that's all that they want to do is have something in play in time for the election. And some of the House Republicans have more or less said words to the effect of, well, we're having an impeachment because there are serious issues, but also because impeachment for Biden, impeachment for Trump, it sort of cancels each other out. So there is politics circulating all around this. The next steps are for, and this is where the Hunter Biden and other things relevant to it come into greater force with these subpoenas. And can they get more information? Can they put something together that looks like a prosecution case against the president? Sufficient to identify high crimes and misdemeanors that you can put on paper and say, these are articles of impeachment, and then... Committees of jurisdiction would have to vote to approve those articles of impeachment, 
either House Judiciary Committee, that's typically the place where impeachment questions go, would have to vote on those, send them to the House floor, and then the House would have to have a vote on each and every article of impeachment. Just as happened with President Trump, not once but twice, or for those of us who were there, and I was, then President Bill Clinton had to go through the process as well. And why did I use that phrase? You have to put together a prosecution argument because impeachment in the House leads to what? A trial in the Senate. And the trial needs a prosecution case. You've got to articulate and explain what you're prosecuting, why it's a high crime and misdemeanor, and why the only remedy, the only because this is what impeachment's about, the only remedy for the high crime and misdemeanor is to remove the president from office. It's not going to happen. Democrats in the Senate would never go for it, but that's what impeachment asks of you. You have to state a case sufficient to say the only remedy is to remove the president from office. So to clarify here what House Republicans are looking for, they're looking for evidence that would show that Joe Biden used his office as the vice mm-hmm. president or allowed his name and office of vice president for influence and the personal gain of his son, Hunter Biden, when dealing with Burisma and his his involvement in Ukraine. In theory, in theory. But I mean, we have no historical precedent in this country for an impeachment proceeding based on actions taken by a vice president who becomes president. None. Zero. There is no history of that at all. None. And the Constitution is pretty clear in the impeachment clause. It's for actions as president. Actions as president, not as vice president. So that's a problem. And there has been this sort of sense that Republicans have that they can get to something that shows that as president, something was done. Or that these associations, business and otherwise, created an atmosphere in which things were easier to get done or decisions had been made by the president or the Biden administration reflective of these underlying business connections or financial payments. That's all very opaque right now. But the idea that you're going to impeach somebody for actions taken as vice president or when you were in between the vice presidency and a candidacy for the presidency would be completely new ground. And when the House Rules Committee met this week to decide whether to send this matter to the floor, which it ultimately did. One House Democrat asked a House Republican, what is the specific impeachable charge? And it wasn't articulated because they don't have it yet, but they're going to work on it. And whether there's political blowback for this or not, that's all to be determined by the voters as time goes by. But that's where we are. Yeah, And it doesn't seem to be much of an appetite with the Republicans in the United States Senate for all of this, does there? Next to zero right now. Next to zero. Can I ask you about one of the acknowledgments that Joe Biden made was that when he was vice president, he did pressure Ukraine to fire the prosecutor, Victor Shokin, the Ukrainian prosecutor, Victor Shokin. And there was allegedly threatening to withhold a billion of one billion dollars of U.S. aid. Can you put that into context and perspective? Because my initial thought is, well, that sounds bad, but that's something that Biden openly admitted. Oh, yeah, that's been that's been that's been acknowledged for a very long time. And that was pressure politics of a superpower. Uh, The superpower in this case would be the United States. Using the lever of. Foreign assistance in concert with many U.S. aides 
U.S. allies in Europe who consider this particular prosecutor in Ukraine so corrupt as to be un- unreliable and harmful to Ukraine's interests and corrupting of that government. And so it was very much hardball nation-to-nation politics in which, and the, these are the vice president's words then, not mine, many U.S. allies saw that as a necessary step to sort of clean up things in Ukraine. And if the United States could achieve it, that would not only clear the way for U.S. aid, but it would clear the way for European nations to feel more confident about sending money to Ukraine because they didn't want this particular prosecutor, quote unquote, to be there in that position because they saw him as too close and too closely aligned with Russian oligarchs and essentially not fighting corruption in Ukraine, but abetting corruption in Ukraine. But the vice president's never denied that ever mm-hmm. or, or run away from that. Other things he's denied that have proven to be true, you know, no involvement ever. Well, what's involvement? You're on phone calls. There are these shadow emails we talked about last week. Other things have come to the surface that are less explainable than the blanket denials that preceded them. And that's one of the reasons House Republicans keep digging, because they there, there are times when the facts that they uncover, though still opaque, bust through blanket denials that have come from the White House. So uh, is it safe to say, Mary Major, that going forward, uh, it's likely that every president's going to be under some type of impeachment inquiry? Is this kind of the standard operating procedure now? You know, I hope not. I really hope not. Um, But it's a great question, Michael, and I can't tell you the answer to that is no. It feels that way. Yeah. Even though, even though, and this is what really bothers me, because... When Republicans said the first impeachment against President Trump over the Ukraine matter was innately and systematically partisan and therefore illegitimate, meaning if you can't get the other party to agree there's something worth looking into here, it's just an act of politics and should be avoided. The very same people who said that, and they looked to be People who believed in what they were saying then are doing the exact thing now. Right. Hmm. Well, it's not lost on me that Jim Jordan still hasn't testified in front of Congress yet. He's probably right. going to he want ignored, to use his subpoena, subpoena power from, to get people yeah. to come testify before him. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the things. When you start ignoring subpoenas and they become valueless in the sense that, well, they're not part of legitimate. I mean, you heard the words. You played them before you talked to me. Jim Jordan talking about the constitutionally protected and mandated right of oversight. Well, yeah, guess what? There was an oversight committee that you ignored a subpoena of. So how important is it? You know, so we're in a space now where politics is not only the weapon, but it's the explanation for everything. Hmm. Sad. Major, who is on the podcast this week? So we're doing something we've never done with the show before. I did a piece for CBS Mornings and also a shorter piece for CBS Evening News about after effects of the 2020 election. And one of the after effects is there are groups in this country that check voter registration rules looking for anomalies, looking for things that they think don't add up, believing those are pathways to rampant systemic fraud. 
And we focused on the state of Georgia, which allows individual citizens to scan voter registration rolls and challenge the voter status of an unlimited number of Georgians. So you're one person, you scan the voter rolls, you can go to a county board of elections and say, I challenge 7,000 Georgians and their registration voter rights. And you can do that. It's all within the law. Well, are these things technical violations? Are they innocent mistakes? Are they signs of fraud? Well, we talked to a lot of people involved in this, someone whose voting status was challenged and a citizen who challenged it. And we're going to let our audience hear all of their interviews that I did with them about this topic. And I'm just going to let people decide for themselves whether this is just, unjust, a kind of hysteria after 2020 or something that's necessary to sort of clean up the system. I'm just going to stand back. We're going to listen to the interviews play. People can make up their own minds. Excellent. He is a man who would never ignore a subpoena. Major Garrett, <laughs> CBS Chief Washington. And, and I'm happy to say, and I'm happy to say, still haven't gotten one. And Good still hasn't gotten one to his everlasting credit. The CBS Chief Washington correspondent, <laughs> author of The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie, and host of the Takeout Podcast, and host of Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. An incredible man. Major, thank you so much. Thank you. Alrighty, take care. That was Major Garrett. If you missed that interview, the whole interview, why you can go back and listen to our interview with Major Garrett on the podcast, The Chris and Amy Show. He's Michael Kelly. Hey I'm now. Amy Mark Scores. Uh, hey, did you see this? Mm-hmm. Is next. Did you see that thing? I can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong. This is a joke, right? Oh my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way. You got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? Amy, we're only going to have time for this one because I'm okay. distraught. What is but it? But have you heard that Raja is leaving the St. Louis Oh, Rosu? my gosh. Yes. But I remember when Raja was born. Oh, totally. Uh, Raja's uh, ours. Yes. And it sounds like they're moving them to Columbus. They want them to be around some girls. Don't blame them there. So, okay, um, I did hear this. That you think they bring the girls to him, though, right? Well, they know. yeah. <laughs> Not everyone's Michael Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you would think they don't have any ladies here. Apparently. Is he related to all the ladies he, here? Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> But I feel like this elephant was just born. Like, I know. Because like, like you said, we were a part of the naming process yep. and all this I thing. remember and, it like it were yesterday. And every year they put stuff into his cage and they show us him eating his birthday cake yeah. and stuff. But now they're going to move him to Columbus so he can go chase some chicks? He's Come on. 30. Is 30, that sounds old in elephant years. I don't know. That's, like, I think it's when to... you just get it going, you know? Is it? Because in my think. head, like if you're very old, it's hard to move. Don't you think an elephant lives longer than a human? I that's a good question. I don't know. I'm so bad at guessing that's like those turtles at the zoo. Some of those live to be like a couple hundred years old. Do you think he knows why he's moving? I don't know, but I hope he enjoys it. <laughs> you would think they'd take him to a beach if it's all about him, you know, having a baby. Let's get it on. Set a set a proper environment. That's right. Well, Columbus the romance capital of the world. <laughs> Speaking of romance, he's Michael Kelly, the man of romance. Hey, I'm Amy Mark Scores. This is the Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.